everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome everyone. We're so glad you're here today with us for this wonderful program. I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. And if you've never been with us before, Welcome. We're so glad to have you with us, and we hope that you'll check out our website and sign up to be a part of our mailing list. It will give you the Zoom link to this program. I want to tell you about who we have today. Woo! Catherine Coulter. I am so excited. I have to tell you guys that I swear to you, this is true. It was a rainy day uh, several years ago. I was listening to one of Catherine's FBI thrillers. I was standing in my bedroom. I was doing some organizing. I was right next to my dresser. Someone came over me and I felt, gosh, I wonder if I'll ever get the opportunity to tell her how much she's done for my life. Because back when I began that journey of blindness, I was introduced to Catherine's historical fiction. She was able to take me away way to a world and help me to function and adapt while listening to her book. Thank you for talking books. And without further ado, I am also thrilled to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Kathy King. She's the master of the universe and master of our website. Kathy? Hey there. We're so happy that everybody is with us today for this outstanding interview. What a pleasure to have Catherine Coulter with us today. Welcome to everybody who's in our Zoom room, readers and writers alike. It's a great pleasure to provide an introduction about our guest author, Catherine Coulter. Catherine earned her master's degree in early 19th century European history from Boston College. She became a speechwriter on Wall Street. Then to her joy, she was able to quit her day job and become a full-time writer. To date, she's written 90 books, almost every one a New York Times bestseller. Her wildly popular FBI series now includes Reckoning, the 26th thriller, just released on Tuesday of this week, August 2nd. Catherine loves to travel, never misses a warrior basketball game with Stephen Curry, and has never met a taco she didn't like. She and her husband live in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area. It's with a great honor and pleasure to have Catherine Coulter with us on Writing Works Wonders. Welcome, Catherine. We're so happy to have you here with us today. Thank you, Cheryl. It's great to be here. And I just love Cody. I'm glad he's Velcro. He's <laughs> wonderful. And thank you for your very kind words about writing. For me, it's entertainment and distraction. If I distracted you... You have just made my day. I, I thank oh, you so much. Thank you. I'm sure many of us on this call have, have similar feelings. On your website, pardon me if I'm not exactly quoting you, but many have added water to the well, and it's your job to bring up the bucket. What do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you the truth. I had to go back and look because I <laughs> But what I basically meant was, so many people, like my grandmother, would read to me. I'd be on her lap, and I was like three years old, and she just read to me constantly, and she told me stories. And then my mother took over. Books were very, very important in my growing up years. And Georgia Hare was a huge influence. Uh, she basically started 
the Regency romance subgenre, mm-hmm. which were my first six or seven books because I knew the genre so well and I knew the setting so well. And that's really what I meant. I mean, all these people, this was the water in the well. And then if I wanted to do something, I had to bring up the bucket. That's great. I love that. It's so much better than saying, when did you know you were going to be an author? What influenced you? I love that. Bring up the bucket. (laughs) (laughs) And I love Georgia hair too. Oh my gosh, love her. I know you have your degree in European history, but what other kind of research did you have to do besides Georgette Hare when you started your Regency romances and your other historical suspenses? Let's start with the Regency. I knew Georgette Hare, and with the degree, uh, this was basically Regency England, and I make Mm -hmm. this loosely from like 1800 to 1824, at the death of George the Fourth, who was the regent, and you know, because George the Third, as you know, was the Mad King. I knew the history perfectly. I knew what people wore. I knew where people lived. So one thing about writing something new, I just knew this in, intuitively. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, to limit the unknowns. And so that's really why I picked the Regency, because I knew the period so very well. So I didn't have to worry about anything. So it was quite easy. Also, there are a lot of really cute phrases that Georgia Hayer, in particular, uses back in that time. And I have to admit that I made up a couple of my own. That's why it's called fiction. It's a great word, fiction. When you're writing about any of your characters, whether it's historical or even now you're an FBI thriller, but Kathy's going to cover a lot of that. How do you identify with your characters? Do you become one with them? How do you get into your writing with each character? Do you have anything special you do? Well, obviously, Savage and Sherlock simply live in my brain. They are alive and doing well. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> and when a new character comes, the the first thing I need to do, if they are brand new, is say, well, what's your name? Because if I don't get their name right, they just sit there on the page and stare at me, and they don't do anything. And then I'll get their name right, and they'll say, okay, okay, I'm ready to go. And then as I write, they become more and more clear. I think it was something like five or six years ago, someone asked me if I was a pantser or a plotter. And a plotter is someone who outlines the book before they ever start, something of which I really am incapable of doing. So I'm a pantser. In other words, I write by the seat of my pants. What that means basically is every day after I write something down, it can be crap, it can be good, who cares? Because then my writer brain goes to work on it. And then I'll think, well, well, wait a second. Is there something else you'd rather do? Or is there something else that would be cooler to have happen? So every day, if you're a pantser, it's always what I call backward buildup. You're changing things in the past to fit new ideas that you're bringing into the book. So that's simply how I work. And characters will come in and they become very clear and then they become friends. Or if I don't care too much about them, they tend not to repeat in the books because they never really got into my writer's Mm -hmm. art. So that's how I work anyway. Everybody works differently. There's no right or wrong. Everybody's different. Every writer. And before I turn it over to Kathy, I want to say, whoop, whoop, yay, 
for book 90. Yay for you for, for the reckoning coming out this week. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Well, I have to admit, now let me make a confession here. It's uh-huh. actually 94 full-length books, six uh-huh. of them to make it 90 because Karen thought that that sounded so cool, but six of them are novellas. <laughs> and as you know, novellas are about 20,000 words. I tend to have one novella out a year, which is a historical set in 1841 England mm-hmm. and then the FBI. So yeah, I think mm-hmm. 90 sounds cool, but with that yeah. footnote. Yeah. Hey, novellas are books too. <laughs> Kathy? <laughs> they include plots. That's right. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Cheryl. And thank you, Catherine, for that footnote about the numbers, because I saw different numbers, and, and that explains it. Whew, I wasn't losing my mind. Okay, <laughs> at least not today. And um, you weren't going to call me a liar. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would know, if anybody, what you've done. You know, one of the great things that I noticed about your work is that you cross genres. It seems like you began doing this maybe with The Cove, which stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for nine weeks. How did that come about? And do you enjoy one genre more than another? <laughs> Actually, I had I had gone over to Putnam in the early in I guess in nineteen ninety and they wanted me to write historical romances because that was what I was very popular in. And so I wrote nine books, three trilogies, historical trilogies. I will tell you that in 1999, I wrote them in four years. In 1999, for the first time in my life, I was burned to my heels. And what happened is I was back in Texas for a family reunion. And my sister, who has never done this before and never done this since, toddles up to me and says, without saying anything else, she said, have you ever heard of a little town on the coast of Oregon called The Cove. They make the world's greatest ice cream and bad stuff happens. I just went on point. So I spoke to my publisher, my editor about it, and I understand their feeling was, why fix it if it ain't broke? But I had enough leverage at that time to say, well, I'm doing it anyway. I wrote The Cove. Then, after they got the manuscript, they wanted to put it in hardcover. And I said, no, 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 no. Because it's okay if you fail, really. it's There's no problem with that. But you do not want to fail in hardcover. That's kind of the kiss of death. So they, they came out with it in paperback. And then it did very, very well. And they brought it out in hardcover like four years later. But that's another story. Then my editor says, well, when's the next book in the series? I was rather dumbfounded because that had been a standalone. I mean, there was no series. So I was sitting there thinking, what am I going to do? And there was this voice. And you're going to think I'm crazy, but you've spoken to other authors. And every author I know has had this happen. There was this voice in the back of my brain that said, well, Catherine, what about me? And it was Dylan Savage. And he had appeared in the last third of the Cove, I think. Then in book two, which was basically Sherlock's book, and that's where she and Savage get together. And of course, their wedding and all that kind of thing is off screen because a suspense thriller 
at the center of it has to be the conundrum, the mysteries and all the terror. And then you can surround it with anything you want, like, oh, I don't know, uh, psychic stuff or romance or, or anything else. But that's the center of the book. And so everything like having kids or a marriage ceremony is really off screen. And I'll never forget that a very good friend of mine, J.T. Ellison, told me, she says, well, Catherine, you know that you really don't have a series until book four. And I said, <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, I've never heard such a thing. She was right. She was totally right. Come to book four, and all of a sudden, everything just fit together. It was a series. Then it just went from there, and at that point, I was writing one long historical romance a year, and then one suspense thriller And I found that because the genres are so disparate, you can keep your brain unconstipated by going from one genre to the other. And the thing about the historical romance is usually they have mysteries in them because that's how my brain works. And they're funny. They tend to have a lot of humor. And hopefully the humor comes through also in the FBI. And of course, you have the mysteries. Rarely you know who the bad guy is. Most of the time you don't know. I know that I'm going to fool you because most of the time I don't know either. (laughs) Because they haven't told me. They haven't told me. So I could be 50 pages to the end and think, oh, okay, you did it, Mia. I'm I'm with you on this. Okay, gotcha. And then it all works out. Then recently, because I've become an elder, I've kind of really slowed down and I couldn't do the two big books a year. So that's when I started doing the novellas, which, which in that is working out just fine. And the sixth one is coming out in October. So that'll be fun. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Well, that's wonderful. You brought up some excellent points in there, some very different perspectives that I think are helpful for both the writers who are here to talk with you and also your readers to understand how these stories emerge and, de- and develop. You know, as a writing group, uh, we just recently were discussing story world building. Would you share with us how you keep track of the details in your different fictional worlds? You said you have these two different worlds and readers and writers often find it interesting to learn how we as authors document or track character traits in order to not confuse them or frustrate them. So you have these two, at least very different worlds. How do you keep track of all those characters and settings and events? Well, let me tell you this, and then that will answer this question. (laughs) Sherlock has been tall. She's been petite. She's had dark eyes. She's had blue eyes. She's had red hair. She's had blonde hair until I got my crap together. I, I do not keep notes, which is really stupid. A lot of authors use what's called Scribner's. I know J.T. Ellison does, and she mm-hmm. keeps track of everything and is so easily accessible to her. Well, when I have to refer to something, I have to go back to books to find out, now, what was that first person, what they look like? And and where were they exactly? And what happened? To you? No, I wish I did, but I simply never got into the habit. Again, it's it's kind of by the seat of my pants. And if I bring in a character that I've used before, I have to go back and check because I was too lazy or or whatever the word you want to use 
to do it from the beginning. I'm That's kind of, fair enough. I'm kind of a failure. <laughs> Not at all. Oh. You, you've developed your, tra- your craft as you've gone along. And, and we understand that because many of us are in the same place, Catherine. <laughs> you <But> don't know. <laughs> You've now, been- what did you do in that book, huh? Oh, <laughs> oh Lord. Oh. So you've been tremendously successful at it, and your readers have accepted that fact. That's terrific. So well, the readers about- don't know that. <laughs> Only you guys do. We do now. <laughs> now we do. We're going to be looking, Catherine. We're going to be watching you. Um, <laughs> what have been a few challenges for you as an early writer? And how did you manage or overcome them? Oh, that's a very good question. I, I never really thought of them as challenges. 85% of people who buy retail books are women. And so there are a whole lot of women writers. And most of them I know love to branch out. They write in a certain genre. And they say, well, I want to try this. I want to try that. And I think you're going to find among women writers that they do do more than one, two genres, maybe even three or four. I remember back in the early 80s when I got my first agent, I decided that I wanted to write long historicals, which were huge at that time, and they were called bodice rippers for a reason. Uh, yeah we're talking about uh the virgin at the beginning of the book she meets the hero loses her virginity goes on to have adventures for 500 pages meets up with the hero again and they live happily ever after that was kind of the formula for the bodice rippers then it, it wasn't really a challenge because i the plot came to me and i just simply wrote the long historicals then i decided well you know i'm kind of bored I want to go back and do medieval. So you research and have a really, really good time. I'm an expert in the years 1260 to 1270 in England. And then did some of those and said, well, wait a second. What about the Vikings? They're going to be a lot of fun. I mean, they bathed, unlike the English at that time, you know, who didn't (laughs) bathe from birth to death. So I went back to the Viking times in England, uh, and that was in Norway, and that was tons of fun. So it's not really challenging. It was really just building on things that I wanted to try. And my publisher at that time was New American Library. They then became Putnam, and then they were bought by Random House. They were always very supportive. They were very, very supportive. I never had any problems at all with the publisher at all. So I do recognize that uh, I have been so extraordinarily lucky throughout the years in not only publishers, but in how they approached what I wanted to do and how accepting they were. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Did I answer your question? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Over to you, Cheryl. But let's take a few questions. Okay, Sheila? Anthony. Good afternoon. Thank you. So I, like Cheryl, lost my eyesight midlife and and I came to audiobooks. I loved holding a book in my hand. And I actually found you, believe it or not, through Nora Roberts. I listened to one of her live events and she was currently reading one of your books and then I became hooked. 
I'm curious to know, in the age of reboots, there are even a few authors out there who are kind of going back and rebooting. Is there anything from your earlier category that you wish you could rewrite or write differently? Anthony, a pleasure to meet you. Actually, again, that's another piece of wonderful luck. And thank you, editor, at the time. The first six books were Regencies, and the Regency subgenre had sort of a specific formula to it. They were rather stiff, in my view. And so I wanted to rewrite each of them and turn them into a long historical and add humor, which I did. And I'm so thrilled that I did that. They they were very well received. So now when people want to read one of the original Regencies, I always refer them to the rewritten ones because they're so much better, to be honest. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Amy. Hi, Catherine. I just wanted to say I'm a big fan of your work. I love that you include the whole family in your book and your Sherlock was savage and their family and that they have a child. And I think it's kind of fun and that there's some romance in with the thriller and it's, I can see it all in my mind. And I really like that for anyone that's breaking into the industry. I'm wondering if you're willing to share how many times you were sort of turned down for a novel before you found your success. Oh, how many rejections did I get? Is that your question, Amy? Yes. Oh, okay. Again, let's go back to luck. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. As you read in my bio, I was working on Wall Street. My husband was in medical school at the time, and I saw him maybe 30 minutes a night over spaghetti, which is the only thing I cooked really, really well. I was reading maybe 10, 15 books a week. One night, I threw the book across the room and said, I can do better. I thought I was so cool and unique. Well, that's not true. Upwards to 60% of published writers started that way, which is an amazing thing. But I went to the study and and told my husband. He grinned at me and he said, let's go for it. He took off the next weekend. I don't know how. And he and I plotted the first book, generally, for the first, and that's the first and last time that's happened. And so I began writing it. And when I finished, I would ride the A train. That's the express train from where we live down to Wall Street. One of the people I rode with was somebody at a William Morrow publisher. So I said, you know, I've written a book and I he did everything but pat me on the head because trust me, everybody has either written a book or is writing a book. And But what he did was he gave me the name of a freelance editor in Manhattan. So I I called her up. She read the book and she just called me back and she said, let's go for it. What she had, and back at at this time, this was in the dark ages near the time of the Ark. What she had was the name of the top editors for the Regency subgenre. And the main one was the editor Hilary Ross with, with Signet Paperback. That's an imprint of New American Library. It was the class act at the time. You know, now you can take courses like Query Letter Writing 101. Well, I wrote this letter. Dear Miss Ross, uh, here's my book. I Gee, I hope you like it. I do. Blah. I mean, it was so ridiculous. But again, uh, luck. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. 
She called me up at my office, invited me to lunch, and offered me a three-book contract. Wow. Well, Well, congratulations. Well, there are several reasons how this can happen. Number one is I I since found out that more than 60% of writers are late with their work, okay, which means a publishing house is tearing out its hair because they have to fill the slots so they can buy you. Uh, That's one of the reasons. Another reason is they would really, really love a book. The editor told me later, she loved to tell people when she spoke that she pulled me up by my bootstraps out of the ditch. (laughs) That was the story with that. And then it was just onward, onward, onward. Wow, well done. All right, Carla. Two questions that I have. First of all, I'd like to know more about your naming. I know you said that you ask your characters what their names are. And that's always been a challenge for me is the naming thing, because you have to get the name just right. And secondly, I wanted to just know, I'm going to try to read some of your books. I haven't yet. Have you done anything about the French Revolution? That's always been one of my favorite periods of history. Well, to be perfectly honest, Carla, I know all about the, the French Revolution, and I don't like it. So that's why I skipped ahead and went to the Regency time, at about 1800 onward. I also did a book back in, in 1775 in there, 1776, but I've never cared for the French Revolution, and I can't tell you why. It's just not my cup of tea. And in terms of characters' names, I have lists and lists and lists of names. Like if you get Romance Writers of America, which is the the premier writers organization in the freaking universe, and it doesn't matter if you write mysteries or thrillers or science fiction or whatever, they are very, very informative. And what they have is lists of authors' names who did this, that, and the other. And so when I'm coming across a new character, what I do is I simply go down those lists of names. Then I'll pick one that I like, and I'll try it out. And if the character fits it, then all is good. But if not, then I go back and try another one. I've tried up to six names in the past until I found one that worked or that seemed to fit the character in my own brain. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Carla's gone. Sheila, right. we have another? Yes, ma'am. Nikki. Nikki, hi. First of all, I have to say I love your, your books. Um, I I do the FBI stuff. Um, my two qu- one question is, um, are you going to do any more Britain, the FBI's, um, cause I have to say, I love those. Um, and the other one is, do you get to choose your narrators or not really? Okay. First of all, alas, I myself closed down the Britain, the FBI series after six books because I believed it had run its course. And to be perfectly honest, it was really, really tough to come up with new and unique ways to try to kill Nicholas and Mike. Uh, Let it be known that they continued their adventures. They eventually married. Everything was good. They, They did not get killed in their amazing adventures, which I find fantastic because they should have died like 12 times over, but they did not. Now, I'm sorry, but I forgot your second question. It was, do you get to choose your narrators? Or... Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. 
yeah, they send me uh, examples of four or five men and four or five women. And then I tell them which ones I like best. Uh, it's interesting because I'm now with William Morrow and I have not chosen the reader for reckoning. So I can't wait to hear them. I've been getting good feedback on them. But if you guys would let me know what you think of the readers, I'd be very appreciative because this is the first time I have not selected. Okay. Yeah. You can't get yeah. better than McLeod Andrews. He was absolutely incredible. He did all the Nicholas books and the Brit books and he could do five languages. Not a problem. He's in Hollywood now. I miss him terribly. He is excellent and a wonderful actor. And Renee, yeah. I've known for a thousand years, and she's very cool. She retired down to Carmel. Amber, you may unmute. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Hi Amber. Works Wonders team. I have not read any of your books yet, but I'm really excited to. With the FBI ones, which one do you recommend I start with first? Well, why don't you start at the beginning, the co, and then work <laughs> okay. your way up? Because time passes and and people come in and out. For me, with a series, I always start at the beginning simply because I like to see the evolution, you know. But it really doesn't matter. Each book stands alone. If you want to start with Reckoning, that's fine. But I would go back to the Cove. Thank you. You're All right. welcome. Nice to meet you. Jeanette. Nice to meet you, too. Hi, Jeanette. It is such a pleasure to speak with you, um, and I love your books. With the advent of Kindle, which I think is a huge adjunct for when we can't get books in the normal places we might go, has that enhanced your readership? Uh, Jeanette, to be perfectly honest, it's now tilted more toward ebooks than a paper or hardcover because it's easier. I myself prefer reading on my iPad because I have 80 zillion books on there and it doesn't matter. And when you travel, it's absolutely perfect. You don't have to cart around hardcovers or paperbacks. In terms of it affecting how many people read my books, a lot more people read the eBooks. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you. Regina. Hello, Kathleen. Hi. Love your books, and I'm Thank you, glad Regina. to speak with us. Well, it, I, I didn't hear everything that you said, but you wanted to know uh, characters, their backgrounds. Well, from uh, different backgrounds, like different races, like you'll introduce a Black character or, you know, a character from an Hispanic background into the story, which doesn't always happen. And I'm wondering they, if you they do come, that. They just come? Uh, for example, in the book, and I can't remember the name of it, but when Savage saves, tosses, it's a bank robbery at the very beginning, and he tosses his gun, and he's in the bank, and he tosses it to the security guy, Buzz Riley is his name, yes. and, and he, he was just there, and he was black. I didn't care. It doesn't matter, you know? It's, it's just that I tend to fall into habits which, you know, I should pay attention to because I, I, all right. In fact, the book that I'm writing right now, I'm going to pay attention to this. So thank you for very much for reminding me, Regina. You're welcome. Keep up the writing. It's amazing. Oh, I will certainly try. <laughs> My promise is I will croak over the keyboard. <laughs> 
anybody who hasn't looked at Catherine's website, go check it out. It's fabulous. And your Facebook page. Um, what's the best part of being an author? Finishing the book. That's, oh, that, yeah. and I, you ask any author that, and that's exactly what they're going to say. And, uh, <laughs> and to send it off, you know, you write an email to your editor and say, here's the book, blah, 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 blah. And then to press that button to send that manuscript, it's, yeah, there are good times writing. And there are times when you're scratching your head or cursing madly, or you come up with a good idea and you're, you're cheering on. And so it's all different. But finishing a book is, is true. And when one comes out, like on Tuesday, uh, you know, everybody sends flowers and, and it's a very happy day for, for the household, too. Oh, both days that's, nice. that's great on your website you say something at to the effect of when you're driving down the freeway d- doing the chair dancing while you're driving <laughs> and scaring the heck out of people <laughs> uh, this, I, yeah this i used happened. to do that when i drove <laughs> this has happened and i bet it's happened to mo- most authors that yeah. you're thinking about what you've just written or you're thinking about your characters, what what's his next, what do you want to do, blah, 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 blah. And then if there's an epiphany, whoa! <laughs> well, be into you if you're too close, you know? <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. That's also a wonderful time. And if you were to give advice to, to writers who are new or have been in the business for a while, especially new people, what would you say to them to keep them encouraged? Well, the fact of the matter is all of us are talented in some way or another, but if we want to succeed in whatever we're good at, you have to be disciplined. And if you're not disciplined, if you don't write at the same time every day and you write every single day, then hang it up. You've got a hobby. You're not, you know, you've got to be disciplined. The main advice to anybody Oh, I want to write a book. Well, then you sit your butt in the chair and write. Do not procrastinate. Again, discipline is the key. This is a magical time to publish. That I started publishing in the golden age before uh, eBooks really, and the industry has changed so incredibly. But mm-hmm. it's also opened up to new writers much more than ever before. Before, if you submitted a book, an agent could tell you to stuff it. Or if this mm-hmm. agent tried to sell it and none of the big seven publishers wanted it, you're done. But that's mm-hmm. no longer true. That is no longer true. So there are so many opportunities now. So I encourage everybody, if you want to write a book, if you sit your butt down, you're disciplined, you do it, and then you see what happens. You get it out there in the universe and see what the universe has to say. Thank you. Thank Cheryl, you, you do Kathy. have a hand. Oh, okay. We'll take a hand and we'll go back to Kathy. Uh Kim. Hi, Catherine. I have never read your books before because for some reason, I thought you only did horror stories. Oh, goodness. Where did you get that idea, Kim? (laughs) But I am going to start looking at your historical romance. And I want to make one comment when you were talking about how your characters at first would have different looks. One thing I got to tell you, and I don't know if I'm like, I mean, if there's more readers like me, but I usually forget what a character looks like. 
Me too. And my character's always end up having blonde hair for the girls, dark hair, you know, brown or black for the guys. And it usually shoulder length. But it's funny because I get so wrapped up in what they're doing. I can't picture them anymore as you go through the book. Yeah, you need to describe your characters, but maybe I'm not the only one that kind of forgets what they look like. And I'm looking forward to reading one of your books. Thank you. Do you also read contemporaries? Yes. All right. I want you to read Beyond Eden. It's Mm. my own personal favorite. Okay. And I will tell you the truth, Kim. Many times... I don't need physical descriptions any, but I will do it when I think mm-hmm. about doing it or I'll force myself to do it always from another character's point of view. In other words, mm-hmm. Sherlock sees somebody walk in and she's thinking about what they look like because we all do that. I never say she was blonde, blue eyed or redhead, blah, blah. I never do that. I always mm-hmm. do it from another character's perspective because that's not important. What's important is you really don't need descriptions. You know the person so well, you don't care. You don't care. But I, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I do think you want descriptions in there, but always make it from another person's perspective. Don't let the author, namely you, just say, well, so-and-so is like this. No, it looks like this. No, 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 no. Don't do that ever, okay? Mm, okay. Okay. Thank you. And enjoy Beyond Eden. Terry. Mm-hmm. Hi. I have thoroughly enjoyed your books, especially the uh, FBI thrillers. And I just want to thank you for the great job that you do on them. And I can, I'm always sitting on with bated breath waiting for the next one to come. Carrie, but you I, are a magnificent person. Well, thank I you thank very you so much. much. Do you have a, a favorite FBI? Back, back, backfire, back. Yeah, Backfire was the sequel Backfire. to the Target. Yeah, with the Hunt family. That's one of yes. my favorites, too. All right. Well, thank you very much. Oh, I Terry, will... in Reckoning, you're going to see uh, the Hunt family again. Oh, really? Yes, yes. And Emma is performing at, at the Kennedy Center in Washington. And thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed this, uh, this series. Thank you. Bye now. This has been wonderful. I know Kathy has another question. Yes. Uh, hmm. I was wondering if you could briefly give us as writers some recommendations, suggestions on continuing to develop good relationships with our editors and publishers. Are always polite and professional. Always. You never say anything bad about anybody else in the industry, because if you do in six months, that person's going to show up at your house. Okay, (laughs) you are always polite and professional, period, end of discussion. You never Mm -hmm. bitch, whine, moan, groan, ever. Mm -hmm. You're always polite and professional. I think you you also mentioned on time with keeping deadlines, right? Yes, yes. Uh, I am so reliable. That's, That's another thing. If you want to be published, you have to be reliable. They always... Uh, what schedule my books even before they get them because they know that I'm going to be on time or early. So you who are already published, this is so super important, 
super important. And it makes everybody so happy that they can count on you. Absolutely. And what's the best way for people to find out about your books and about you? My website is katherinecoulter.com. It's very reader friendly. Uh, Sign up for the book newsletter. They are once a month and hopefully they're very funny. Uh, And also I'm on Facebook every day. I post every day and I interact with everybody every day. My husband and I hike every day. So I'm always, and I live in the beautiful Sausalito And so the hikes have gorgeous scenery and I post them on Instagram and they usually go over to Facebook as well. So that's how you can find me. And again, I'm very interactive with Facebook every day. So you love to talk about football during football season, right? That's correct. (laughs) And I do have to mention that when you mentioned in my bio about the Warriors basketball team, his name is Stephen Curry. Oh, okay. Stephen Curry. (laughs) Now, I want you to become a fan. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine, this has been so wonderful. If you were right here, I'd give you a great big hug. This has (laughs) been fabulous. I mean, thank you. It's like like we're all together in a room. It's just been wonderful. Thank you so, so much for your time and your graciousness. And Reckoning came into my email right onto my Kindle app the other day when it came out. So I'm looking forward to reading it. Joy, doing thank it, you, and thank, thank you, and Kathy, and everybody who has asked questions. A yes. pleasure to get to know you, Tony. Take care. Uh, yeah, been a pleasure. Thank you. Our next prompt for this week will be stupendous. Write sixty words or less using the word stupendous. Kathy. Okay, and stay on for the after party, and you'll be able to read your response to this week's prompt. And thank you, everybody, for the wonderful experience today with Catherine Coulter. Catherine's been wonderful. We really appreciate her time and her responding to all our questions. And thank you, folks, for being here with us. You're new or one of our regular attendees. Don't miss next Friday. Yes, you've been waiting for it. It's our summer round robin storytelling event. We're always excited for this event and we know you are too. Don't miss the summer round robin improv craziness that happens at Writing Works Wonders. And then the following week, August 19th, will be our Writing Works Wonders writers chat backed by popular demand. Bring your questions and inspiration to share with others who are new, emergent, and experienced authors. Be sure to visit writingworkswonders.com for these show notes, resources, and previous episodes. Does anybody want to read their their response to their prompt? Anybody have a story world? Up. Hello, this is uh, Pam Johnson. Hello, Pam. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Okay, my my uh, writing response is um, it's called "Wait" with a question mark. Um, these two teenagers, Monty and Mandy, walk in walk into walk into Mandy's mother's house after high school one day, and find her mother Andrea cooking. She almost burned her peas, but then she turned it off and hurriedly said, "Well, hi, kids." Want something to eat? I know you can't eat this. And the kid said, no, we want to tell you something. And uh, Monty says, 
we want to get married. We, we, ha- we have it all figured out. I have a job after I graduate here from high school, and we can move into my room while we're waiting. And, and Andrea says, oh, no, you, you can't. Then Monty and, and Mandy say, what do you mean we can't? Then all of a sudden, Andrea has a dynamic thought. Well, wait a minute. Kids, you're right. I'll give you here. I'll give you cleaning supplies and coupons to the grocery store. And you'll need tax, re- tax forms. And you'll need real estate information. I'll give you a subscription to the papers. And then stop, the kids stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, hold it, hold it. What's going on here? What do you mean? Well, what's all this? And Andrea, the mother, says, well, you'll need some help while you're getting started. You know, this is married life. Then Monty and Mandy turn to each other and says, well, maybe we've been a little rash. Maybe we ought to wait six months before we're deciding again to get married. The end. (laughs) Thank you, Pam. Always thank you. Marlene. Out of balance. Fantasy novel. Due to a series of global natural disasters, this planet is out of balance. Energy crystals have been scattered, causing imbalance in the magnetic field that keeps the planet in alignment. Now, the guardian creature overseers must break their own rules to interact with humankind to restore the crystals. The problem, their king is injured with amnesia. One of the guardians has been appointed to keep him apprised when he realizes what has happened, he sees the churning, unsettled, myriad clouds shifting above and asks, shouldn't the sky be green? And there's also a companion book for that, which is called The Guardian's Tales. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.